0: Alright, coming to you live from the only place to be in RDP, hey, it's the YLC, the Don Bosco Youth Leadership Center, and this is Teo, Teo Visera, the Program Director. Many of you may know me as the Big Cheese. And that's another story for another time. I just want to say a big hello and a welcome to the fourth episode of Hotspot MTL, Hotspot Montreal. Uh, I am the program director at the DBYLC, the Don Bosco Youth Leadership Center here in RDP. And over the past year, an incredible group of young adults have been working tirelessly to create a podcast, not just a podcast, but a youth community podcast that would speak to some of the challenges they face as youth in today's world, in today's youth culture. It's not easy being young. The incredible team led by Dina Fonicolo and Giovanni Cortesi, with the help of Thomas Cifradi and Michael Galliano have created an outlet for people to share their experiences in the hope that those listening can hear themselves in these stories. This episode, we have a double feature, a double whammy for those of you who are listening. That's right, four co-hosts, three Michaels, two incredible guests, and one amazing show. We're really glad that you're listening in. In part one of our episode, Mike Galliano is joined by Alessio Giancola to speak with Father Mike Pace, once a pillar in the RDP community and a good close friend of mine, who now has moved on to further explore his spiritual journey. He's actually in Italy right now, and you got to check him out. He's doing a lot of beautiful stuff that I know the interview will touch more upon. Uh, Their interview looks at the lessons Father Mike has learned through making the leap from being a practicing lawyer to becoming a priest, how important it is to put ourselves in new situations, and the beauty of being a part of an interwoven community. Listen in.
1: everybody it's michael galliano here again with another interview on the Hotspot. with me this week is one of my best friends dbylc family member
2: and fellow teacher alessio Giancola. welcome to the show hey mike thanks for having me so as you said my name is alessio i am also a teacher i've been teaching now for the past four years at uh for the msb the english montreal school board uh it's very simple this year has been kind of a crazy year so for sure Yeah, we've been hunkered down, but I'm very happy to be part of this podcast with you. Thanks for having having me. Well, thank you so
1: much for being here. We really appreciate uh, giving your time to help us here at Hotspot MTL spread a little positivity. Today, we're chatting with someone who has had a lasting impact on the community here in Montreal. From halfway across the globe in Turin, Italy, we bring you Father Mike Pache. Welcome.
3: Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Buongiorno.
2: (laughs) Buongiorno. Ciao.
3: (laughs) So we always like
1: to start these conversations off with a softball question, something that isn't too difficult to answer. We introduced you as Father Mike, which isn't a title everyone hears often. So perhaps a little introduction is necessary.
3: Okay. So uh, Father Mike does not mean I have children of my own. I have no children and I'm not married. I am a Roman Catholic priest. And Father is a title of um, respect, if you want, that is traditionally uh, used when referring to a priest.
2: It's been a while, Father Mike, so I got a bit uh, a bit in awe. I missed you. <laughs> so before becoming a priest, from what I could remember a little bit, you had a different life uh, mapped out for yourself. Can you uh, take us through the earlier times in your life? And where did you think your life was headed and how you ultimately turned towards priesthood?
3: Sure. No. Uh, so definitely... I did not see myself as a priest. It was something I didn't ever wanna think about even though I, I grew up as a practicing Catholic, but to be a priestess was not on my radar. I went to university to study modern languages. That was my, my, my first degree. And so it was, it was like heaven on earth because it was mostly all girls and a couple guys. And so it was very uh, lovely and social and there was, was a great social life. And I thought I was gonna become uh, either uh, a language teacher because I was studying Italian and French, or I would become a translator, and maybe open up a travel agency. And I said, no, 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 let's, you know, I, really want to, I want to be a teacher. So let me see about Teachers College. And I said, well, you know what? I was pretty confident I could get into Teachers College. I gave myself a target, a goal that I didn't know if I could achieve, and it was to become a lawyer. Because in my mind, to become a lawyer, you had to be either rich, Anglo, or Jewish. <laughs> and I was neither. And so it was kind of a challenge. I'm the son of immigrant parents from Malta. My dad was a factory worker for Pepsi. My mom was a homemaker. And it was a challenge. Could I do it? So I went off. I did my language degree at the University of Toronto. And then I went off to Osgoode Hall in Toronto. And I got my law degree. And I was dating a wonderful young uh, law student also. And we had our careers all lined up in respective law firms. And and I was in my last semester of um, my law degree, I was doing an exchange program between Oscar Hall Law School and Université de Montréal. I was doing my last semester in French. We were the pioneers of an exchange program. So there I was, months away from graduating, my job all lined up, this love of my life in Toronto. We were back and forth all the time. And all of a sudden, it just became clear to me that I don't really see myself living this dream. It's like a few months away, but it, it's, not, it's not gelling for me. It doesn't seem like it's where I'm gonna spend my life. And so if you've ever been to the law library of the U of M, uh, it overlooks Mount Royal. And I used to go there every afternoon to study, a big long desk covered in books. And behind me were like rows and rows of huge book racks, floor to ceiling, jurisprudence. That was my world. I was gonna learn all this stuff and make my living and have my big house and have my four kids and be that successful guy. When I looked out of the window, as I had done so many times over that semester, on the distance, there was St. Joseph's Oratory on the hill. Mm-hmm. And between me and the oratory on the hill, there was like 20,000 tombstones. So I'm like in my mid-20s. I'm in great shape. My career is opening up. I'm in love. And it was like, oh, my goodness, between me, like one of these days, I'm going to be dead. And I never really thought about that before. And that's when I kind of woke up to something inside of me saying, maybe you need to consider what God's been trying to tell you and consider the priesthood. It was like, my world was the world of law. That's what what a successful guy did. You know, he made lots of money as a professional. Mm -hmm. And then when I saw the oratory on the hill, it was like, God, always in my life, but I was happy that he was on the horizon, kind of far away. Keep your eye on me, but don't get too close. I got things to do. I'll call you. Don't call me. And then the awareness that one day I need to give an accounting to the God who created me for the way I use the gift of life that he gave me. And I, and I, and I had this sense, it was clear. I was not meant to be a married lawyer. He was calling me to become a priest. And I was lucky in a sense, it was clear in my mind, a Salesian priest, but I had no clue how to go from being a young guy in love a month away from being a lawyer, leaving all that and becoming a priest. Um, the first person I told was my girlfriend. Wow. Hmm. And uh, she, she was great. She was, we had a wonderful relationship. She was Greek Orthodox. So she kind of said, well, can't we get married first and then you become a priest? Because in the Orthodox Church, a priest can be married. Yeah. And of course, I thought about that, but I, I, didn't, I didn't feel called to become an Orthodox know, uh, Catholic. And as they say, the rest is history. It was a process of um, a lot of confusion, a lot of fear, a lot of learning to let go, learning to trust, learning to open up my life to uh, direction and guidance from, in this case, it was Salesians. And uh, they encouraged me to see other religious groups and go to the diocese as opposed to becoming a religious priest. So there was no pressure. There was no coercion, which was something I had always been afraid of to open up the question. Uh, with a priest but they gave me maximum freedom to explore they gave me really good advice they helped me mature as a man and in the process it became clear to me where god was asking me to go and he was asking me no one forced me and so i uh i, I did my uh, my my clerking my articles mustache you know with the law firm mm-hmm. at the end of which they offered me a job with the law firm It was back in the days of, of ben johnson so i worked for ben johnson's lawyer and at the end of the year, they pulled me into the office and they said, We want to give you a job. And do you, expect, uh, do you accept? Well, all of a sudden, I became tongue tied. I became like afraid to tell these Jewish businessmen that I wanted to be a priest. Mm. So I hummed and I hawed and I said, Well, you know, I'm, uh, I know I'm really new at this profession, but I think I'm uh, contemplating a career change. And they looked at me funny and they said, What do you mean? Mm-hmm. And I couldn't get the words out. I was just so, so nervous. And then one of the partners, his name was Jack, a good man. He says, Oh Mike, a guy like you with your work ethic and and your values, the guy like you didn't do law. What would he do? Become a Catholic priest? I said, yes, Uh yes. yes." (laughs) And I was so relieved that he said it for me. He says, no, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. I said, well, I'm very serious. And I want to thank you guys because it was the excellent quality of my experience here and the, and the, respectful way in which she treated me and mentored me that helped me make my choice i can have this world you gave me a beautiful experience of the legal profession and in my heart i still feel called to do something else And so i want to thank you for helping me decide at that point uh, ed footerman of happy memory has since passed away and he was sitting in one of those big you know burgundy leather chairs with the brass buttons and he was overlooking like downtown toronto like way up on the 15th floor of the of the building and he just sat up in his chair and he put his hand in the front of him and he says, well, when we make a job offer around here, we never get turned down. Mm. Oh. I'm like, I'm never and he says, but at least in this case, the competition is good. <laughs> That's right. <true>. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever change your mind and you want to come back, always a job here for you. So that, that, that gave me tremendous freedom, tremendous freedom. I didn't, I didn't. I didn't not make it in law. I didn't not finish my studies. And even the Salesian priest who was guiding me said, no, you can't quit now. Like when I was after I got my degree, when I began speaking with a priest about becoming a Salesian, and I was ready to quit and not get called to the bar. He says, no, you got to get your degree. You got to do your year of staff, You got to do your bar exams. You have to be a lawyer. So then you'll be freer to choose to stay or to leave for the right reasons. Wow. Maybe you're afraid you're going to fail and you want a noble exit. Hmm. So that's not a wise thing to do. You don't want to ever have regrets that you came so close and you didn't finish. Because in 25 years, that could haunt you. It's very smart. He was very wise. And I, I love him for the, uh, the wisdom. And so on his advice, I became a lawyer, worked for a year and said, yeah, no, I still feel called to um, explore the Salesian life. And that's how it all began.
2: Wow. That's,
1: that's amazing advice. I think, uh, it, it's, it's important for people to, you know, you try it out, really try to make an informed right. decision, right? Don't just make a decision because it's an inkling, it's a feeling, right. or you're scared of something else. Right. Just, no, test it out and really come up with that decision yeah. by going through it. Yeah, no,
3: that It was such a, it was, that, that was like a pivotal experience for me because like growing up, I was the guy that my friends came to for advice and I didn't really have the experience of asking other people what advice for me so that experience taught me about trust i had to learn to trust others to guide me choice was always mine but that was that was pivotal and uh made a huge difference and even the way he helped me understand that it made sense humanly but it also made sense spiritually he says if this idea of being a priest and a salesian is from god you have to test it. Either it's just coming from you or from him, and it's going to take a couple of years to do that anyway. So you might as well finish what you've begun. In the meantime, get closer to us. And he says, "You got to get to know us, and we got to get to know you." But it's not just that you want to be a Salesian. We have to see whether we're convinced God is calling you to us. Wow! And so the beautiful process of um, back and forth, honestly journeying, and seeing what God was doing in me, in them, and all the options that was that were before me and my ex-girlfriend, like there were so many dimensions. And it all just kind of settled gently uh, as I took the time to let God do what he does best, just bring us to uh, the fullness of life. And those those are phases of my life that I will never forget. And then I go back to, back to all the time to remember, you know, how good it is to trust. And when people come to me now for advice about their vocation, I kind of imitate and I pair it. Obviously, adjusting it to the context, the wisdom that I was so blessed to receive.
2: It was a a, a true calling. It really was a true calling.
3: Absolutely. Which which we all have. Let's not forget. It's not unique to me who became a priest. That's true. Mm -hmm. Help me understand that. If you're called to be a husband or a wife, do that. If you're called to be single, okay, do that. You know, uh, God takes the lead and our job is to respond. Took me a while to accept that. You know, I, I grew up in the 80s, independence. You do your thing. My life is responding to God. Yes. Now, that
2: was a big deal for me to wrap my head around. Can you explain to us uh, what it means, Silesian, why you chose that path in particular? So in the the
3: Catholic Church, there are are priests. And think of a diamond. and There are different sides of a diamond. But the beauty of the diamond is the way all the sides come together. And they reflect the light in a different way. So you get the spectrums of color. And that's what gives the diamond its beauty, right? So the church is like the diamond and the Salesian priests and the Franciscan priests and the Dominicans and the Jesuits and the Austin priests, all the different sides of all the different ways of being a priest kind of put out the full array of ways to live the gospel in a specific way. So when we say Salesian priest, it means I'm a priest that belongs to the family of the Salesians of St. Francis de Sales. Salesians comes from his name, de Sales. Um from the 16th century, and it was Don Bosco who lived and worked right behind me. I'm working at uh, Don Bosco's first oratory, where he began his youth movement, his youth center, his school, his church, his home for orphans and for boys in the uh, industrial revolution times of Italy,
1: wow.
3: starting in 1846, okay. So as the work began and the boys were coming and they were homeless, he gave them an education, a family, faith formation, a job. And then the whole Salesian congregation grew out of that experience. And now we're a worldwide family within the church, priests and brothers and nuns and, and lay people and married people and single people. So to say Salesian priest means I'm a priest that um, lives and works in the spirit or in the charism, in the, in the manner that Don Bosco modeled for us. So very youth-friendly, very joyful, very optimistic, Uh, a lot of trust in in, in the sacraments, a lot of close relationship to Mary as a friend and a guide and a helper. Those are sort of the emphases that make us distinct as Salesians. Other groups also have those qualities, but they're sort of the essential ones for Salesian priests.
1: And, uh, you know, when you you came to Montreal, Mm. you know, the new young priest with his own ambitions, his own way of wanting to do things, it definitely... Uh, could have caused a stir you've since moved from place to place having to adapt from you know to new environments and help others see the vocation in a new light many people find themselves in new workplaces right regardless of what their job is you know whether they have to relocate to different cities find a new job find a new place of work what have you learned is the value in overcoming that adversity i know there was that value in kind of letting go of everything and taking on a new job Perfect. but what about having to you know in that same profession right move from place to place reintroduce yourself build new trust build a new reputation so on and so forth
3: yeah no that that's a great question and it was a great a huge challenge because if you think uh you know i've been a priest for about 24 years the first seven of which were in montreal as a priest. I've lived in uh, three continents. Uh, how many countries? Four countries, six different cities in three languages: wow. English, French, and Italian. That's a lot of changing. Wow. Okay, and, and I'm not a missionary because I began in Toronto, then I went to Sherbrooke, then I lived in Rome, Dublin, Ireland, Montreal, Toronto, New Jersey, Tijuana, Mexico, New York, and now in Turin. So being uprooted in many ways is, is difficult. It's unsettling, Mm -hmm. but I really see a blessing in that because it's forced me to focus on the essential. I'm not Mike Pace the priest because I had a great time in Montreal and I did at the youth center at the parish and the diocese. I made great friends there. We did great work together. Okay. When you're forced to leave something that you've loved and that you've given your best energies to, and you have felt the love of the people, then you got to leave and move on and do it all over again. You got to be focused on what am I really all about? What is this that God called me to? So I'm at the point in my life where I'm saying, okay, well, the essential is service and to serve in the name of Jesus, in the style of Don Bosco, wherever the congregation of Salesians thinks I can make the best contribution. I'm I'm not for Montreal only. I'm not for Toronto, my home city only. Even though my mom is there and my dad is there and they're elderly. And I got siblings and 22 nieces and nephews whom I love and eight great nieces and great nephews, you know, there's a a huge sacrifice, but it keeps you focused when you have to pack your bags and decide how much stuff do I really need? Hmm. You know, I can collect a lot of stuff that I don't need. Let me just pare it down. It also builds character you know, I have to say I've matured a lot as a man and therefore also a man who's a priest because I had to reestablish myself again with strangers. You have to reestablish trust. You have to re, um, address, you know, even manners of working things to, to improve that you already took care of 20 years earlier somewhere else. Like, Oh, they're still doing it the old way here. Okay. (laughs) Just be patient and do it. just, Just bring whatever I can. And then to let myself be formed and, um, brought forward by other people it's a very humbling process to be uprooted i think one of the blessings also is that it really gives you a um, a clear perspective if i had stayed my whole life in toronto or in montreal right well i think that's the center of the universe
1: mm-hmm.
3: but really it's not it's the one i know best it's the one i'm more comfortable with it's the one where maybe i've excelled or where i excelled first but it's very very important that i've seen I feel really lucky that I've been able to be uprooted and moved because it forces me to see my own prejudices and my own biases that I didn't know I had. When I'm at the center of the universe and I understand the universe, everything makes sense in my terms. But when I go to a different country and now I have to speak a different language and the work ethic is different, uh, that makes you pretty humble. Because you'll you'll say things that are wrong you'll say things that people will cringe at when you try to express yourself okay um and you're forced to learn that other ways of thinking and doing are different but they're not better or worse and mine are not better just because they're the ones i know so especially for you guys in montreal like i live there and even in toronto the whole question of interculturality appreciating and and, and creating a fabric Socially, in the church, um, in the workplace, in families, where many cultures are interwoven, many languages are spoken around the same table or in the same neighborhood. That's a blessing. It it has its own challenges. Yeah. But I think whenever we're forced to see the world from somebody else's perspective, language, um, cultural um, stance, either you get bitter and resentful or, or, or it makes you grow. And I just feel really blessed that I, I've been able to grow and be provoked to let go of certain assumptions that I had and just let all these ways that I've been called to serve um, make me, make me I think, a more open person. Um, but there's, there's a process behind that. It means
2: letting things go. And it, that's never easy, but it's always rewarding. Definitely. I mean, you you definitely said something very important, the idea of letting things go. I think every single person on this planet has to uh, deal with that in some way, shape or form. So, right. uh, it's, it's, it's nice to hear again, from your perspective, like you said, you know, it's not, it's not easy for anybody, right. you know, even someone with all your wisdom, it could come from someone young or someone who's experienced letting things go. It's not no, easy for anybody. Something
3: else. Yeah. I would add, like, I learned a lot about compassion. In every move that I had to make, okay, I moved as a man who's white, who's educated, who has a Canadian passport, and wherever I left, there was another Salesian house or a, or a family member waiting for me, happy to see me, providing for all that I need. Okay? As a priest, as a religious priest, I, I have no salary, but my housing and everything else is provided by the congregation. I really appreciated what it meant, especially in the current culture of, 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 of um, massive immigration all over the world. Um, I had an issue a few years back in the United States where I had been—I was waiting for my worker's visa, and it hadn't come. But I had to start my work in, in New Jersey as the formation director, and so I entered as a as a, as a, as a tourist because there, there was no money involved. I don't make any salary, okay? So it was like volunteering. But the, um, the American authorities looked very, very harshly on that. And it was a very grueling, humiliating, um, negative experience. Okay? But it lasted a short period of time. Made me realize for a lot of people, my little grief for a few hours at the border is their normal. Because they don't have an education. They don't have resources. They're not white. They don't have a Canadian passport. And so it made me really more sensitive to the plight of people who are migrants. You know, I, I, I mean, I studied law, I get it, how it works. I still find the immigration process overwhelming the offices to go to the papers, to get the procedures, imagine someone who hasn't had the advantage of an education who doesn't have all kinds of resources and they're trying to make ends meet while they're trying to figure out their status. You know, I spent uh, nine months in Tijuana at a Salesian, uh, House on the border with San Diego, and it's for people in the streets, for migrants from all over Central America. Uh, when I was there, there was hundreds of, of Haitian people who had walked essentially from Brazil, all across the north of South America, up through Central America to the north of Mexico, trying to get to the States. Three months, a three-month agony, with the hope of a better future. And I mean, the stories that I learned, that I heard. Uh, You know, I remember there's this one story I could tell you, and I say it with permission. uh, Marie was was a Haitian woman in her 30s with her husband and two, like, eight or nine-year-old kids. She had a huge scar on her head from her hairline to her eyebrow, always with a sort of um, a serene but sad smile. And so I asked her, you know, what about that scar? Can you tell, like, it's pretty fresh. Are you okay? Do we have to take care of it? And she began to tell me her story. One night they were, you know, they paid the coyotes to get them through the jungle, to get them to where they have to go. Coyotes are not the animals, but guys who help you, um, you know, travel illegally. And um, she said it was a stormy night and we were walking on the cliff and there was a raging river down below and it was wet and it was slippery in the jungle. And she fell and she slashed her head open on the rocks. But when she fell, she dropped her two month old son into the river and she never saw him again. He got swept away. Oh. Oh. And she goes, all I remember is the coyote saying, come on, we got to go. He's gone. You'll never see him again. Come on. We have to hurry out of this jungle. That, that is one story. I can tell you dozens. So when you hear stories like that and you see the, the hope in people's hearts that continues, even in a hopeless situation, this pulls on your compassion strings very powerfully. Taught me a lot about not judging, about listening, about... Um, asking people to share what's in their life, what their story is, so you can get to know them. I can tell you when I was in Tijuana, I had no office. I had no title. I had no official authority. I didn't sign checks. I didn't call meetings. I didn't have staff, but I was like front row center, uh, you know, face-to-face with thousands of people in need. I never felt more like a Salesian and more like a priest in that environment. Where they, they found something, it's because I was able to listen to them. Um, it, it, was so, it was so transformative for me. So if I hadn't had to change and move and deal with immigration and uproot myself and go again, I never would have had that enriching experience for me. And I like to believe that I was able to give them something hopeful and, 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 and loving mm-hmm. in those few months that we had together. Some of them still write to me. It's a beautiful thing Or you know, with social media, you can stay connected. Behind every challenge that we face, I look at it, obviously, with all the human resources that God has given me, but also with, with the eyes of faith to see how many how many ways can I read this situation? Because if I've been called to enter this as a priest, there's a reason God wanted it that way. Mm. And so it's just always a reminder to keep going back to what the Pope calls your first love. Why did I call this vocation mine? Why did I feel convinced it was for me? Well, I fell in love with it. I learned something about me that God was trying to tell me. And I think that's something all of us can do in whatever walk of life that we're living. We you know, push the reset button. Mm-hmm. Why did it, why did you become a teacher? You know, why are you doing this podcast? You know, keep doing what you love and keep doing it for all the reasons that moved you to start in the first place. Um, yeah. Those are some of the insights that I take from my various experiences. Wow. I mean, that's, that's
1: powerful, right, to to be able to experience that and learn from that. Regardless of what those experiences are, I think uh, every little thing could be a learning experience. So we really thank you for that That story. that's um, That was a really, I mean, crazy experience for sure, but- It was very moving. Moving completely. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, you've mentioned you've been globetrotting, you've been on many different continents, many different cities. I don't think you could have mapped out where your priesthood journey would have taken you,
3: absolutely. Uh, no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and now you're in turn working in the place where it all started for the Salesians. Yeah. Uh, explain to those listening what's happened these you know last few years of your faith yeah. journey.
3: Well, so I began my journey in, in Toronto, and mm-hmm. then I went for a first year of studies and spiritual journeying of the novitiate in Sherbrooke, Quebec. Did that in French. Came back to Toronto for three years, got my teaching degree, worked with youth ministry, did chaplaincy work, did retreats and World Youth Days and summer camps and music and all that great stuff. Went off to Rome for three years to do my theology in Italian. Then I went to Dublin to do a master's degree in pastoral leadership. Then I came back to Toronto. I I was ordained a priest in my home parish. Oh, there's the bells. (laughs) I was ordained a priest in my home parish. Then I went straight to Montreal like I was just baby priest. And there I was. I remember one guy, uh, Damien, if he's listening, that Damien Caruso, you can't be a priest. Why not? Because you don't have white hair. <laughs> All the priests I ever have white hair. <laughs> they're coming, don't worry. But for now, they're still dark. So I just had seven wonderful years in Montreal at uh, Maria Joaquin Parish and at the Youth Center. Then I was assigned as a pastor for nine years in Toronto. The same parish where I was born and raised, got all my sacraments. Oh, wow. Oh, and that was a cool thing because my parents were in the parish and my sister works at the parish and my brother and his nine kids are in the parish. And so we did a ton of youth ministry and then all those like, you know, pastor things like remove asbestos and do some renovations and all that. <laughs> but the, the work with the people was awesome. We had like 65 parish groups and all kinds of things going on. And then, uh, in the meantime, I was able to do two what they call general chapters. So that's a meeting of Salesian leaders from around the world every six years, which kind of sets the, um, the agenda for the next six years of the governance of, of the congregation. So I got to do two of those in a row. And so to see how this, this Salesian founder that I joined kind of works and runs itself at the global level, that was totally awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, came back from those. And then uh, I was asked to go to New Jersey to be uh, the director of our formation house. So uh, that's like being, you know, uh, responsible to help form the guys becoming Salesian priests and brothers. Okay. Maybe an expression you're more familiar with is like a seminary director. We don't use the word seminary. We say formation house. Mm -hmm. I did that. That's when I had my little Tijuana experience. When I couldn't get to the States because of my visa being delayed, uh, I went to Tijuana for nine months and helped out. Then I came back, and then I was moved to New York, where I was uh, like a shrine coordinator, a big Marian shrine. I was there until May of last year. And May 15th, I got this funky email from Rome. <laughs> and it was the uh, rector major, so Don Bosco's successor, uh, asking me what I consider coming to Turin, where I am, Obviously, I said yes, and he asked me to come because we took the original building where Don Bosco began, everything, Salesian, the youth ministry, Dominic Savio, all those people that we've heard about, and it's a big museum, so it's on four floors, It's like 4,000 square meters, and I'm like the uh, the hospitality guy who can do English, French, and Italian tours, and then do workshops and retreats and that kind of thing for the thousands of uh, pilgrims who come once COVID is over. Yeah. 30. So that, that, that's what I'm doing. If you look over my shoulder, what you see is the Church of Mary Help of Christians, which Don Bosco built, where he's buried. Dominic Savio was there. Mary Mochalala was there. Um, it's a fabulous place. We have the basilica, two other churches he built, the room where he lived, the room where he died, the playground where all the kids played, uh, where he began his, his schools, his trade shops, where the missionaries leave from every year as they've been doing since 1875. So I'm kind of like at the cradle mm-hmm. of everything, Don Bosco and the mission, the Salesian mission with young people, which is kind of a cool thing to see what you guys are doing. He was all about communications. And it's nice to think that all those years ago when I was uh, you know, a fresh baby priest and you guys were smooth faced, <laughs> um, some seeds were planted that are still growing. And here we are you guys are in montreal i'm out where the place where it all began and you invited me to come and be part of your mission i I think that's very beautiful like don bosco lives in his young people you know he pulls us all together it doesn't matter where you live the spirit knows no boundaries and so that's pretty much what i've been up to for the last piece of my
2: life it's funny because when i was younger i just knew you left i didn't really even understand where you went you know Mm-hmm. and uh to hear that you did you've accomplished all these amazing things is is really nice to hear too and i'm sure the listeners are going to be super proud of father mike and his journey well
3: i appreciate that that's very it's very encouraging um i don't need, to be honest i don't really think of it in terms of accomplishment anymore i'm glad i've done what i've done i see it more in terms of okay i was asked to serve like this let me try was i prepared no every time they asked me something, it was like, holy Moses, man, this is a sharp learning curve. <laughs> okay. They think I can do it. Let me do it. I'm at the point in my life now where I say, okay, I'm going to do my best. And if I do great, that's a bonus. And if I flop, well, that's okay. Like I don't have to prove anything anymore. Maybe as a young man, there was more pressure to you know, show you could do it. No. And i say this to all of you folks in Montreal. I said this when I left, I remember, and I, and I still mean it. The bishop made me a priest, but you guys really made me a priest. You pulled that sacrament out of me. You taught me how to be a priest. So the things I was able to do with you and for you and the things we did together, you know, like I I cut my baby teeth on Montreal, on RDP. And so I really carry you guys with me. And that's a huge part of um, the way I do what I do. I learned a lot of that from Montreal. From my brother priests, obviously, from the sisters, I gotta say, especially from the lay people that I worked with, the amazing lay people who really taught me what it was to work with them as a priest, as a religious, um, seeing the beauty of this family. So I have a tremendous love and appreciation in my heart for everything, Montreal. You know, uh
1: Father Mike, you said that we made you uh into a priest, you made everybody uh, who is a part of that parish, uh, excellent human beings. Uh, You have been a long lasting member of our community, no matter how far you have gone, no matter how many other cities you've journeyed past us, uh, you are always important uh, to RDP, to Montreal. And we really do thank you for everything you have done uh, for us since then. I mean, you are an incredible person. We wanna thank you for being on here today. Uh, It was a really great uh, time, a really great experience talking to you. Thank you.
3: Listen, it's been a pleasure for me. Uh, Only gratitude for the opportunity to connect with Montreal and have this this chance to tell some of my story. And may God touch your hearts uh, the same way he's touched mine. Thank you, you guys, for this possibility. It was
2: very nice seeing you again. And uh, next summer, if I plan a trip to Italy uh expect uh expect a knock on your door
3: come come i got, I got 80 bedrooms lots of room come on oh, over beautiful nice <laughs> okay.
2: well thank you so much
3: most welcome thank you for inviting me
0: a little word to father mike Father Mike, uh, we're so grateful for all that you've done for us here in RDP and especially at the Wild Sea. You were definitely a shining light and your presence and your love for young people really was really amazing to see. And we still feel it today, you know, and although you're far away, Father Mike, you're so close to us, not only in our hearts, but especially here in the Wild Sea, because there's plenty of pictures of you. And we always we want you to know that this is your home away from home. We hope to get to see you soon, and we hope to get to laugh a couple of couple of more times, and maybe share a beer or two. Father Mike, all the best to you, our blessings to you. In the next interview, Michael and Alessio pass the hosting duties over to Mike Romanelli and Davide Clemente, two leaders here at the Wild Sea who continue to help spread Don Bosco's message through their good work with the youth in the community. They sat down with Father Richard, the director of the Salesian Youth Center. A little word about Father Richard. You know, uh, like Father Mike, he's just an amazing person. For Take out the priest part for now, and you will see from this interview that he is a good, kind man. A man whose heart is always opened, who's always connected to the young, whose love for the young is undeniable. And without Father Richard, in all honesty, there would be no YLC. So take the time, listen in, and discuss how Father Richard found his calling, the differences between being a priest earlier in his life, and the joke here at The Wild is that he's old, like really, really old, like in three digits, (laughs) versus what faith and religion mean today. And that's quite interesting because faith and religion in the 50s, 60s, and 70s is certainly not the same in today's world, all the while shedding light on the man behind the clerical collar. Father Richard, this is him.
4: All right. So welcome, guys. Uh, Welcome to week four of our uh, Hotspot Montreal uh, podcast. I'm going to be your co-host tonight, along with Davide. Tonight, we have the pleasure of interviewing the wonderful Father Richard Otsier, our very own YLC priest here. Uh, Father Richard, can you tell uh, the viewers listening at home uh, just a, a quick introductory about yourself?
5: Yes. Well, good evening to everybody. I'm kind of happy to do this. There, this is uh, hasn't happened too many times in my life, so
4: it should be it should be fun. So, uh, David, do you want to kick things off?
6: Yes, I'll kick things off. So, I'll start with that that we have listed for you. So, you always kind of had a feeling this was your calling, um, but at what age did you realize that this was your vocation, and what led you to make a leap of faith? Take the listeners through the when and the why. Okay.
5: I mean, I was born in 1948, which is about a thousand years ago. Uh, and uh, in my family there, I was with my parents and I had uh, five siblings. And we were always sort of uh, people of faith, uh, my parents. And we were also, you know, kind of regular uh, churchgoers, uh, even when I was a child and a teenager. So that probably planted a bit of a seed in me, that, uh, that faith. Uh, was important for me. I think what's sort of focused it at one point there is that when I was in elementary school, I used to serve Mass at the nearby parish. Serve Mass means to assist the priest when he's celebrating the Eucharist or Mass. And I always enjoyed that. It was very simple in many ways, uh, but I felt like I was sort of his little assistant. And then as I got uh, a bit older... Uh when I was in high school, I met a specific kind of priest, which were the Salesians of Don Bosco. And I was just a student there, but I was a good student. And I was always uh, touched by the, uh, the kindness and the gentleness and the presence and the care of the Don Bosco priests. It's like everybody who was in the school was kind of adopted by them. Uh, So, for example, I was in different activities even after school. At one point, I was a a Boy Scout leader, and I would try to participate in in the different things that were going on. So that maybe was some of the base of of my calling. One important moment would have been when I was 10 years old, Mm -hmm. even before high school, where I had an uncle who was ordained a priest in Cherbourg, Quebec. Uh, and I was a little 10-year-old there with my parents assisting at this. And, you know, I could hear, uh, I guess, the Lord's speaking in my heart, well, someday this could be you. Uh, and that always remained with me. And my uncle was a priest for many years. Uh, and so I knew him many years after that. Uh, and I guess the, the, the third turning point would be when, back when I was in high school. And I got to understand that these Don Bosco priests were attached to a saint, St. John Bosco, and he was the saint of young people. And so when I was a Boy Scout leader, and when I was doing other activities, uh, when I was in helping with the yearbook or the photo club, uh, or even helping to, to with the masses that were celebrated at the school, it was sort of, again, me seeing myself... Possibly as, uh, as another little Don Bosco. Oh,
4: so you really got uh, your calling like pretty, pretty young into high school there, and that's very rare, even for people our age. It's, uh, it's hard to, to know what you want to do uh, later in life, and you really, it was, uh, you you really saw that in high school.
6: Yes, especially the calling to priesthood, which is a lot, I think, a lot harder to, to understand than than just I want to be a teacher or I want to be an engineer exactly well it was a
5: bit because i was in a situation both family and school and even parish uh where it uh you know the faith was something important that meant something i remember beautiful processions to the blessed virgin mary going by in front of my house from the nearby parish you know and all those kinds of things made me realize that, you know, God was real, that Mary was real, that Jesus was real.
7: Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, and then as I got to know the, the Don Bosco priests, well, I sort of transposed myself saying, well, that might be for me. Now, that wasn't at the level of a final decision because I was only in high school. Because when I was 16, that sounds unbelievable today. That was the end of my high school. That's That was the age at which I graduated from high school. And so I took one, what you would call, provisional step. I said to my parents, well, if I want to really be a priest, I have to go to the seminary in the United States. Mm-hmm. My parents were happy that I wanted to be a priest, but they were not happy that I had to go to the United States.
4: As any parent uh, would be.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, as, as few parents would be there. and. Uh, but in the end, uh, you know, it it worked out. Uh, but it was really after high school there that I, I kind of started taking some, you know, concrete decisions there. In the sense that, uh, at first, you know, we were in the we were in a seminary, and then we we lived with other priests, and then we made first vows, first promises, temporary ones, uh, to be, you know, a priest candidate. And then it was, you know, I was 28. Uh, before you could say the final, final decision was taken, that is to, to apply for ordination uh, and become a priest. So it was like, for me, it was a, you could almost say it was 20 years of my life where this was, was sort of brewing from elementary school until 28. And it just it seemed that God was always giving me signs. I guess that's the simplest thing. It wasn't like a, a one-shot deal, but it was different things that happened to me, uh, and I was convinced that he was speaking to me in, through all of that. So when I was 28, I was happily ordained
6: a priest in Sherbrooke, Quebec.
4: Oh, that's uh, that's quite a story you got there, Father.
6: Uh, everyone knows that you're you're the, the face behind the YLC. <laughs> that you you're you're always there. You're always and of course well, you you live there as well. Um, but I was wondering if growing up you said that you were involved in a lot of, of activities and a lot of after-school activities but did you have your own sort of YLC uh, as you were growing up something like we have today? I would say
5: not exactly there I mean in one sense uh, my being in after-school activities uh, at the school itself would have been sort of my YLC my connection with uh, you know with, with the priests and the Salesians uh, and then the other big thing I mentioned it there was I was part of the Boy Scouts, all right, mm-hmm. uh, which was a big deal in those days, and I became a what they what they called a patrol leader. Mm. Scouts uh, organizations were developed into patrols, little groups, subgroups of about eight to ten uh, Boy Scouts. And I was like a, a leader of them for, I think, three years. Uh, the last, my last years in high school there. And that was, wasn't YLC, but it was sort of like summer camp.
7: Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, and there was, a, you know, there was a faith atmosphere to all of that too. I mean, we were Boy Scouts, we camped out and we made fires and we cut down uh, trees and uh, put up tents and, you know, all the things that, Boy Scouts used to do there. I guess they, they still do them, but, and, uh, but there was always also, you know, a moment uh, of prayer. Uh, we'd have mass. And so it was like the same, I was in the same
4: world. So a lot of, a lot of people think, okay, they grow up, they, they become a priest and then it, that's it, that they're priests. Now people have this idea that they uh, of what priests are like. And they don't really realize that, you know, priests are like everyday people. Priests do things that everyday people do. So uh, what we want to know is, uh, do you have like any hobbies, interests that some people might not, that they don't really know of?
5: I can assure anybody listening that priests are real people. <laughs> uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, we don't come directly from heaven. Uh, we come from families, uh, you know, that are like, uh, like the families uh, of always. uh, And, uh, you know, we have our qualities, we have our limits. Uh, You know, I, I was in one sense, good at school, Uh, that helped me because I felt comfortable in, in the school setting doing the other things that were part of school. Uh, In terms of other things about me that people you know wouldn't think of there I mean when I was in high school and for many years even when I was in the United States and then back in Sherbrooke after I had became a priest uh, I was a photographer I was always a photographer I used to even develop my own pictures uh, in those days it was black and white uh, the, the color pictures were just starting and and I used to uh, <clears throat> take pictures and develop pictures for years. Oh. I mean, if I put somewhere all the pictures that I've took I've taken in my life, there would be an awful lot there.
4: Oh, wow. uh, yeah, I, very interesting. I didn't know about this. Uh, that's actually something yeah uh, that's actually a nice little, uh, little, nice little fact. And you know, when I was at the
5: school in Sherbrooke, which was a Don
4: Bosco school again,
5: uh, now I was a priest, well I started a photo club. Oh. and I would you know we would go out on outings to, to learn how to take pictures uh, you know and we then we develop them and put them on the bulletin board at school and it was the pictures of the photo Club. Another thing that uh, that I've always uh, liked to do is I, I go fishing yeah my, my parents always had a cottage uh, near asbestos Quebec which is now, Val de Sus, they changed their name,
7: mm-hmm.
5: uh, and uh, all my life as a child, and even when I was a Salesian already and a priest, is, I would go to, to the cottage almost every summer, and uh, we go fishing. You know, tr- trolling, it's called. You, know, you throw the, the lure into the water when you're in a boat that's moving, and you hope some dumb fish bites on it, <laughs> uh, and then you pull the fish <laughs> in. And I used to drive my brother's that were younger than me crazy because I only did it, you know, a little bit. They would sometimes spend hours and hours and hours and I would go out for two hours and bring the best fish back. What's uh, what's
4: like the biggest uh, the biggest fish you've caught?
5: Oh, the biggest fish would have been probably, uh, I'll say, uh, 18 inches at the most. Wow. You know, I don't know what that is in centimeters there. It's probably 25 or something there. Uh, ruler is twelve inches, and this is yeah. The other day with the ruler, yes. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a, about a ruler and a half. That would be it. <laughs> and the the other thing that I've always liked to do there, I'm I'm sort of a a, a movie uh, movie guy, you know. And, oh, wow. Um, <clears throat> I like uh, I like to you know uh, even sometimes just on my own, just myself, you know. Go go to a movie. I always did it all through my life uh and i, have you know, part of my distress during covid time was was that the, the theaters were closed there and you know I, I watched some movies on tv but i i find it less pleasant than being in a theater with a huge screen there <laughs> and uh so those those are some some hobbies and things that, that i've done o- over the years there that's that's
4: nice uh what uh so you say you said you watched a couple movies during uh, during quarantine. Uh, any 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 suggestions? I, I might want to watch a movie myself. Well, I'd be probably hard
5: pressed to to suggest anything there because uh, I mean i I guess the best way I can answer that is i I tend to enjoy most the the movies that have some sort of a, a human uh, issue. In other words, I like a movie, say, where maybe, I don't know, a family is portrayed that are having a difficult time and they work their way through it in the movie. Or I like a movie where, you know, there, <clears throat> there, there, there's people doing good deeds for others, you know, the, the, that other people don't know about. And uh, I'm not too much into the, uh, into the superhero uh, movie thing. Uh, i do go with my brother however who uh, every year makes me but i love to do it makes me go see star wars uh, because he says to me well they've they uh, the movie number 48 is is now out of star wars and you haven't seen it so let's go and see it you know uh, i uh, i will agree with your
4: brother there that the star wars series uh, is a good one
5: <laughs> yeah yeah i like it there i i say it's uh <clears throat> it's uh, you know space space people uh, chasing after each other and the good guys win you know
6: <laughs> exactly so I say when when COVID is is out of the way we we get together with the whole uh, bunch of people we go a nice day fishing take some pictures and watch end the day with the Star Wars movies
4: there you go the perfect Father Richard day
6: <laughs> hey, follow the Father Richard day that's right that's <laughs> right um, <laughs> So how would you compare um, being the priesthood from what it is when you started uh, to what it is now today in 2021? And what are, what are some of the main differences uh, you've, you, you've gone through?
5: I mean, I think one of the basic differences is, let's say, the world in which I was growing up. You got to go back to the 50s, 60s and 70s there, 1950s, 60s and 70s. Uh, was a world where uh, I would say there was sort of a harmony between the family, the school, and the church in that there were like shared values. It was automatic to everybody in the, 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 in the schools and in the church that the Ten Commandments were important, that they were our guide to be uh, you know, followers of, of God, but also even uh, good citizens. And and the Catholic faith was shared by all those people. uh, And I kind of was part of all of that. Hmm. But I think now is is very difficult. If if I was uh, your age uh, and thinking about the priesthood is that you get an unbelievably complicated mixture of messages about everything. In, In my old days... There was a certain harmony of values, like I was saying. Nowadays, it's sort of a mixture of all kinds of values and principles and beliefs, which, you know, all can be of value and can be respected, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't produce a a, a unity uh, that is as strong for somebody who might be
4: thinking of doing something mm-hmm. faith-related, would you, would you, would you say that uh, becoming a priest today would have like a negative connotation uh, to, uh, compared to uh, becoming a priest when you did so uh, was uh, perceived as more of a positive thing? I guess I wouldn't say it has necessarily a, a negative
5: uh, impact, but. Uh, but when I see some of the young men that are preparing for the priesthood there, I always kind of feel a bit sad that it's so hard for them in this world uh, where there's a you know a multitude uh, of beliefs and values and lifestyles and all the rest, uh, and therefore they're kind of on their own.
7: Mm-hmm.
5: So I think uh, today to just to be. A Catholic, just to be a believer, is already very difficult, even for your generation, even for you guys and all the ones that I know like you. I always sort of say to myself, it's much harder to be close to to God, to Jesus, and to the Church today than it ever was. And I guess the other thing that I, that that I would say there, it's harder to be a priest today than it used to be. In the old days, you would presuppose that people maybe the whole city knew the Our Father. And uh, you, nowadays you can't presuppose anything like that. You have to sort of say, well, uh, you know, uh, maybe they do, maybe they don't. Uh, and that for me is is sometimes a bit, you know, discouraging because you say to yourself, well, you know, is there anything I can do to help? At the same time, for me, that becomes like a, a motivation there. I. You guys have seen me here at the youth center. There, you know, I try to share the faith in a respectful way, uh, but at the same time saying that I believe in it and that there's something beautiful and important about it. Sort of, no matter where everybody is at, because I know they can all be at different places, and I just try to proclaim what, what you know, what Jesus asked me to do and what I believe myself. Uh, but it's 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 more difficult for believers, you guys. And it's more difficult for me because, you know, you turn on your, your computer and you'll get, you know, a hundred different uh, views of life, you know, which are not always of equal value. Therefore, I, I, I'm guessing it seems very confusing for for your generation and therefore for at times
6: me as a priest. So you we, we spoke about what's uh, how it's gotten more challenging to become a priest as well as being a priest. Um, but what about what's gotten easier? Is there anything that's gotten easier or better since when you started? I mean I guess I would say there that what, is, what
5: has gotten easier is that before maybe people took who were believers took their faith too much for granted.
7: Mm-hmm.
5: And nowadays, people are further away from that and therefore, in a way, it makes it easier to share the message, to share, Jesus' love and, you know, the Blessed Virgin Mary's caring for us because sometimes people don't know where to turn anymore. And therefore, in that sense, it's it's a bit easier. It may be difficult for them, but for it's easier for me because I can sort of say to myself, well, these poor people are, are going through all kinds of difficulties, uh, and maybe I can give them a bit of hope from Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think that is easier because their need is there. uh, And sometimes they're looking for answers and people give them a hundred answers, but nobody is, is, is being real there. It's all sort of, well, you know, if you don't like this, do this, or don't do that, or, you know, and I I can offer something hopefully positive and, you know,
4: good for their, good for their soul. How, how do you feel um, the, like, do you feel that with the development of technology, uh, it's been easier to uh, relay the, your message um, as a priest over the years? Or has, it, has technology really been like a background uh, player and not, hasn't really impacted as much?
5: I mean, I think it's been, it's been a, a great uh, instrument for let's, what we call evangelization or sharing the, the good news of, of our Lord. Uh, because it, it can reach people that we never really see live, so to speak. Uh, and therefore like, you know, say I was giving a little, Mm. uh, you know, prayer for you guys, you know, well, you might not be, uh, you know, in the same building as me or in the, uh, or attainable, but you, you can receive some sort of, uh, hope filled message or some, some sort of religious, uh, uh, enlightenment uh, through through the media. There, mm. I guess there's a there's there's a flip to that also. But I think the flip is uh, people get so much stuff on the internet that I think you know everything gets sort of diminished in its importance. Yeah, there's so much stuff coming in that if something, let's say. A religious came in from a priest or from a church or from a parish. Uh, yes, it can reach more people, but you know, uh, do do they want to do they want to hear it, or are they just going to go on to the next video game, or are they just going to go on to you know to uh, reading the news and, and uh, you know dumping the priest? Uh, it's it's all fine. It's a choice. But that, that can be more difficult, I think. Yeah, I could see the the, yeah. the good and the bad in that, yeah. I think during the COVID, just to add another thought there, you know, the, the churches have gotten very good. You know, all churches, I only know basically the, the let's say the the, 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 the churches that are, are, are bigger or better known, but they've all done an awful lot of, of, of covid uh Covid teaching and praying and preaching uh, that has reached a lot more people than were ever reached just by the parishes themselves, or we did it ourselves at, at you know the YLC. We've done some things uh, of, of sharing the faith on uh, on in the digital world that that reaches people more than than it would have done before.
6: Yeah. Oh, actually just to add on to that, I was seeing uh, our church here uh in rdp the teacher, they were they every sunday they live stream their masses and on facebook and uh sometimes i popped in just to see you know how well sometimes to watch the mass but also to see how many people are actually joining because i was curious and i was there were there's still quite a few people who uh despite not being able to go into a church uh that are watching those those with the lives and watching the mass from from their home so I think, uh, I definitely think that churches have definitely put in a lot of work into that and, and succeeded.
5: Yeah, and I think in general, there's a, a lot of people following there. Yeah. You know, the, the funny thing about it there, you know, could be that, you know, that people feel more comfortable uh, because they can hear, say, the, 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 the priest's homily, his sermon. Uh, you know, at home without having to come to church, and it might reach them more than if they were in, 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 the, in the building itself. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think there's a lot of that going on, which is encouraging there. Yeah.
4: Do you think that, uh, like, when everything starts uh, reopening up and uh, churches will be allowed to be at uh, full capacity again, do you think that the churches will continue this online service? to try and like get the best of both worlds or uh, do you think it's going to go back to uh, how it was? My guess would be that most churches would try to keep it going Mm.
5: because the the thing that is missing in digital religion is the, the, the community building Uh, you know, people really seeing each other being together uh, knowing, you know, in their parish, how they can, how they can help the poor. Uh, knowing in their parish how there are, uh, you know, elderly people that are abandoned, uh, you know, and sometimes that is, is better found out if you're praying in a church and as the church assembles or leaves, uh, you know, they, they might say, okay, well, the, the senior home down the road hasn't been visited by anybody uh, in a long time, are there any volunteers and you know, some people would would say right on the spot, "Okay, I can do that once this week." Uh, so, there's there's what is missing in the digital part is the feeling of being together as believers. Because a church is not a building; a church is the people in it, yeah. who 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 are there because they, they they love Jesus and they're happy to see other people that love Jesus. Uh, and they just want to be together to enjoy that. And then it helps and nourishes them. Uh, I think that that has been a bit lost there with uh, with the internet stuff.
4: To to finish off, Father, I just thought I uh, just have one last question, and uh, it pertains again to the uh, uh, from when you started uh, being a priest to uh, to today. Uh, anything that uh, you found has changed in, uh, in your life, like uh, in outside of being a priest, like, uh, your hobbies or your, or your day-to-day life, uh, but, uh, outside of, uh, the, the religion, uh, the religion stuff. I mean, I, I guess, you know, the changes that
5: affect everybody, uh, you know, affect a priest just as much, uh, in the sense that, you know, uh, at times, I appreciate, uh, say, you know, the digital world for, for its usefulness. At other times, uh, you know, it, it it can become an obstacle to to even your mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think uh, people, in one sense, are, are are freer to to be who and what they want to be, which is fine. But I think uh if I, if I look around the world in which I live there's a lot of lost puppies. Mm. There's a lot of people there who are having difficulties and who are kind of lost in their life and who whose family situation is very painful uh, whose work atmosphere is is very aggressive. Uh, so I think in those kinds of things uh, you know have, are more, I would say there's more of that today than years and years ago. Uh, and uh, even if there's not that much more, we know a lot more about what's going on that can be so difficult.
7: Mm-hmm.
5: That's what I would say is, is kind of the, what affects the world around me. Uh, that would be what it would it would sort of be there, Mike. Yeah.
4: To uh, to finish off on a, on a little bit of a, a lighter note, um, so uh, as you may have heard, Lego plans to uh, to open up the province like bit by bit throughout the summer, and hopefully by the uh, by towards the end of the year, we we should be getting back to normal. Any uh, any plans, any movies that you want to go see that uh, that you have for uh, post COVID. Anything you've been building up for the past year and a half? I'll share with you something that, you know, most
5: people wouldn't expect there. Just before COVID hit, my brother and I, eh, I'm 73, my brother is 71. We were sort of in a bucket list mode, all right? So we said Mm -hmm. we're going to go on a trip to uh, the part of Europe that we had never seen, which was the smaller company, smaller countries, in Eastern Europe, a little guided tour. Uh, that all crashed and burned when the the, the COVID uh, came in, uh, and, and so uh, once all this uh, settles, uh, you know, we 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 happen to have left some money with the travel agent, uh, and so we're going to try probably next spring to 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 do the trip. You know, wow. Which would be like a one-week guided trip to uh, Austria and Poland and uh, some of those kinds of countries that neither of us have been to. So I guess that's that's what I'll be thankful for 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 Mr. Legault's, uh bending of the rules a little once we'll be able to do that.
6: Wow! I hope it happens for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fun trip. Yes, yeah, sounds yeah. like
5: a very fun trip. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's. it's it was just a fun idea there before things got complicated. So we, I was speaking to him there a few weeks ago and you know, he says, Oh yeah. He says, I'm I'm still on. He says, we, we gotta do it. And he lives in Connecticut. Huh? He lives in the States.
6: Oh yeah. Oh,
4: okay. Anyways, uh, thank you for your time, father. Uh, it was, um, it was a, an amazing experience just talking to you today. I actually yeah. learned many things that I, I didn't know. And I've known you for years now and it's uh Uh, in in just like a couple of minutes i don't know i feel like i know you a lot more
5: i know and thank you for the opportunity because it's also good for my soul to do something like this because you know it gives me a chance to you know to think back to my life story uh uh you know and to be grateful to to god for the the blessings that i got and the good that i've done and you know i hope you know i'll make it to 100 uh, with most of my marbles and that uh I'll, uh, I'll be able to continue as long as I have the health. So thank you to you guys. And uh, I hope it all works out with, the, with the, the podcast itself.
0: Well, there we have our interviews for Hotspot Montreal. We hope that they were just as positive for those listening as was for all of us here creating them. It was really a great experience. So give us a follow on Instagram at hotspot.mtl. That's hotspot.mtl. If you want more information about the Don Bosco Museum in Turin, Italy, where Father Mike is, visit museo Casa That's M-U-S-E-O, Museum in Italian. Casa Donbosco.it. Or find Father Mike on Instagram at Father F-R Mike Pace P-A-C-E. Pace like in peace. So at F-R Mike Pace, P-A-C-E. Give him a follow, send him a message, and let him know how much he has missed. You can also find out everything that Don Bosco YLC is doing here in RDP by giving us a follow at Don Bosco YLC on Instagram. You can also check us out on our website, dbylc.com, or also on Facebook, Don Bosco YLC. Hey, this is Teo. Thanks so much for listening in. I hope you guys really enjoyed it, and we look forward to many more adventures with all of you. So keep on listening, share the word. This is the Hotspot MTL, Hotspot.MTL, the youth community podcast, the only youth community podcast really reaching out to youth and the community. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you soon.
8: Welcome to Community News, a place to be in the know even when on the go. After 130 days, Quebec will finally be ending its curfew on May 28th. This will begin preparations of the reopening plan, which includes Eating on patios and decks outside of restaurants, outdoor gatherings of up to eight people on private property, travel between regions of Quebec, up to 2,500 people in a large theater or arena. Quebec reported 549 new cases of COVID-19 on Tuesday and nine more deaths. The province has been particularly hit hard by the pandemic with more than 3,600,000 confirmed infections and 11,050 deaths related to the disease. Nearly 50% of Quebecers have now received at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine and another 25% have booked an appointment to get one done. Only slightly more than 250,000 Quebecers, however, have received a second dose. Speaking of reopenings, Oka Beach is no exception. They will be operating at our limited capacity so grab your sunscreen, towel and book to prepare for your perfect beach days now. What better way to start your day than a 3.9 magnitude earthquake? That's how most Montrealers woke up on the morning of May 17th, a great way to shake up the summer.
7: Hello everyone, and welcome back to Hot Mentions. This week, we'll highlight the achievements of two past YLC leaders, Frankie Cirillo, as well as Nick De Gregorio. Frankie Cirillo has been at the YLC for many years. He has been a part of us in the past, participating in the flower sale, camp, after-school programs, and more. He was a very active member of the Happy Days camp, being a coordinator and an animator. He was even an animator to one of our current staff members. He also played an important role in the inception and growth of the Friday Night Hockey League, being at one point or another the coach, general manager, or owner of a team in the league. Frankie has since applied his leadership skills beyond the YLC. Frankie is a successful entrepreneur, among other things, Right now, Frankie is helping the community by giving people financial advice on their investments at Manulife Securities. Frankie gives good advice not only for finances, but also for everyday life. A conversation with Frankie is always a learning experience. Frankie has also achieved one of the greatest things in life, becoming a father. He and his wife have a son named Noah, who is currently two years old and is turning three this summer. Nick De Gregorio is also a notable past YLC leader. Nick was very involved in both the Happy Days summer camp and the Friday night hockey program. Like a lot of our hot mentions, he moved on from the YLC and applied the skills he learned in various fields of life, one being real estate. Nick has been a real estate agent at Remax for almost six years now and excels in his field because of his knowledge of the area and his capabilities to speak Italian, English, as well as French. Nick can sell your home as well as find something for future home buyers almost anywhere and everywhere. Recently, Nick launched his own clothing line to promote and support his real estate career. You can get one of his hoodies or t-shirts through his Instagram page at (laughs) thegregorio.realestate.